number 10. We're going to be looking tonight's reading of our scripture will be Luke 19.10. There'll be a Bible there in the seat back in front of you. There'll also be, uh, this verse will appear on the screen as well. Those who are able, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10. Bible says, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Luke 19.10, which is such a a pointed passage, uh, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. There would be many verses from which we could spring for this simple thought tonight, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a singular thought, and that is this, stick to the mission. Stick to the mission. Let's pray. Lord, would you help and guide and direct? We ask for your help and favor in all we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. There was probably, probably no one in history, and it probably is not even fair to say it that way, who had a more singular mission than Jesus Christ. Even from the time when he was a, when he was a boy and he, his family sent back for him, and uh, they had been separated from him for several days and recovered him, and he made the statement to them, wish ye not that I be about my father's business. In other words, I'm here for something bigger than this. There's a, there is a real pivotal thing that is ongoing. He came for one reason, and that was, that was to die for the sins of man. You and I in our life, we also have but one mission. Our mission is wrapped around a number of things. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto thee. That's something. The Bible tells us to fear God and uh, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. God has a way of wrapping those things in kind of concise and pointed uh, statements. Uh, Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with thy God. Uh, what doth the Lord require thee? And those three things are listed. So you find those kind of statements that are broken down throughout the Word of God, but uh, it, is, uh, it is important for us to understand what it means to stick to the mission. I'm going to tell you a story at the beginning, at the end, and then give you a few quick points here. I, I read a book, uh, oh, just a couple of weeks ago, and it was fascinating. I'll, I'll probably, every, every once in a while I read a book, and it goes on my shelf as one to reread. And it's, uh, it's a story, it's a book called Sons and Soldiers, written by Bruce Henderson. I've read a couple of his books, but, but it, it goes through the accounts of uh, a number of young men who were boys when they were sent secretly out of Germany during the Nazi occupation by their parents. Some of it, most of it was done during the 30s as the Third Reich and Hitler were coming to power mid-30s up into even as late as 1941. These boys typically were, were sent out and under some crazy scenarios. I mean, they, they were sent off uh, to visit so-and-so and whatever papers they could get. And uh, at that point, people, the, the borders were, were closing and the United States was allowing fewer and fewer numbers of immigrants to come during those days for fear that some of them would be sent over as spies. And there was a lot of reasons for that, a lot of reasons to suspect that. And so uh, uh, they, they were sent, and uh, many of them came, and w- when they got to the United States, they were under great suspicion because they all spoke German. And during those days, there was a lot of fear of that. 
but there was a lieutenant colonel in the United States military who thought they could be of great use in the event that we were able to be successful in our invasion of Europe and then pushing through and defeating the Axis. And so they assembled as many of those young men together when the draft came in. Of course, many of them were drafted. And there was a question that was asked, do you speak German? What languages do you speak? And one of the young men actually spoke 11 different languages, incredibly valuable, as you can imagine, for, the, for capturing prisoners of war and interrogating them. And that's what many of these guys were used for. They were all taken to a secret military installation in the hills of Maryland called Camp Ritchie. Camp Ritchie that still remains there today, but it's not an active installation. And the group of young men became known as the Ritchie Boys. And there were literally, over the course of the years, military training, thousands of them went through there. In the book, Sons and Soldiers, Bruce Henderson tells the story of just a handful of them. One of them, though, they're so fascinating, but talking about sticking to the mission. One of the young men who was sent out by his dad with hopes of his dad catching up with him and his mother and a younger sister. It wouldn't be till after the war that he would learn that his mom and his sister were sent off to a concentration camp, and two weeks after their arrival, they were gassed. His father was sent off to Auschwitz and gassed. And he would not find out any of that until he happened to be one of the liberators of Auschwitz. And reading through the annals of how every, that they kept meticulous records, the Nazis did, and he would see the name of his father, and it listed, as it always did in the records, heart failure. And he had been gassed just a couple weeks after his arrival. But this young man who, never knowing the fate of his family, he had one goal and one mission throughout his time there while he was training, and that was get to Europe and defeat Germany. And he said that motivated him for everything. He finally completes his training, and he is accepted into the 82nd Airborne. He becomes a paratrooper. He's sent to England, where they're making all the plans and arrangements for the Normandy invasion. It's June 5th, and his unit is giving the assignment of jumping into occupied France. There's just one problem. He had not completed the required jumps to earn his full patch. And he was so disturbed, he found out he was going to be left in, in England and not be allowed to go into Normandy. And so he ran into the tent of the commander, who happened to be a general, a four-star general. And he said, I have to go. He said, I have one mission. He said, I've got to get to Germany. One, he wanted to see if his family was still alive. They were not. But he said, I have to defeat the Nazis. I have to defeat Germany. And the general did something that, uh, of course, would not be allowed today, but he told him, he said, climb up on the desk. And he said, when you jump, he said, it will be, be much harder than this. He said, but I want you to jump in the air as high as you can and land on the ground and control your feet and your legs. And he said, it will give you the closest thing that we can do right now for you to qualify as a jump master. And he had him do it three times, and he signed his papers, and he said, go jump into Germany. And he did that night. That was the extent of his paratrooping training. And he, he, he would say when he got up there on the aircraft, and, of course, there is all types of shrapnel and, and uh, gunfire and anti, anti-aircraft uh, explosions around the plane, and he's the first one to jump. And everybody in the unit knows that he has not even jumped except off a desk. 
And he said, instead of being terrified, I realized I had one mission. And he said, so when they told me I was the first one to jump, he said, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew I was jumping. He later would go on and survive the war and became a very successful businessman. In fact, sold his business in the 90s in Chicago for $177 million. If you've ever sat on a chair at a Hilton or a Marriott, he probably made it. It's an amazing story of resilience and how he just worked so hard with one goal in mind. You know, as, uh, as heart-wrenching as those kinds of stories are, they really show what the human heart is capable of doing when you realize, I got one goal, one mission. When Jesus Christ came, he said, I got one mission, and that's to win everybody I can for Christ. Your goal, your mission, my mission is the same thing. And it's important for us to never lose sight of that. Sometimes we, we get so busy and so preoccupied with other things in our life that we forget what really matters. I said Friday night at the youth rally, I, 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 I challenged us to ask ourselves the question, will there be anyone in heaven singularly because of me? That's a question that I would challenge you to ask yourself each and every day. Is there anyone that has trusted Christ because of me? Can I, can I point to a single person that I presented the gospel to or I gave a gospel track? Now, I realize that sometimes you'll never know the results of, of the, or the fruit of your labors. I understand that. But it's important for us to always understand to stick to the mission. Several things that it requires you very, very quickly. We'll hustle through this. Number one is abundant faith. Abundant faith. I love the passage Paul writes in 2 Timothy. We quoted it this morning. I've got it on the screen there in front of you. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. This is the Apostle Paul who knew he was going to die. I can't, I, really, to, to think about the Apostle Paul in his life is just staggering to me. Um, and by the way, I don't want to jump the gun on this, so I won't say a whole lot about it now, but, but I have a friend of mine who is, who is planning a trip of Paul's missionary journey, and he's contacted me to see if we want to go sometime, and I told him absolutely, because that would be fascinating to me, to go to the islands in the Mediterranean where Paul was and, and the different cities, and so that might, you might be hearing more about th- that in the future. But we look at the Apostle Paul, what an amazing, fascinating life, and he gets to the to the very end, knowing death is imminent. Knowing. He comes to the end of his life and he says, I'm ready to be offered. Can you imagine facing death that way? I'm ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. It's like he's on the phone getting ready to catch a plane, talking to his wife and saying, I'll see you in a little bit. The, the calmness. What great faith. An abundant faith that said, listen, I, I don't know exactly how this is all going to turn out, though he did, and he still said, I'm good with it. I'm good to go. I don't know. I just picture myself kicking and screaming. Hey, I'm being transparent enough there, but not Paul. Paul said, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is hand. I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not for me only but to all them that love his appearing. What an abundant faith. I think uh, several things about abundant faith is it 
uh, is, it, it is us realizing three things, what God has done, what God is doing, and what God is going to do. What God has done, okay, for instance, I'll just use salvation. I know where I was. I'm not everything I should be, and I'm not everything I'm going to be, but I know where I could, could be were it not for the grace of God. God saved me. So I know what God has already done. Then I look at my life right now. And again, I'm, I'm not boasting at all. I'm not what I should be, not what I could be. I understand all that. But I look at what God has done with that already, and I, I'm grateful to a God who has done what he's done in my life. And I'm grateful for what the future holds. I don't know everything that it holds. I know how it ends. I know how it's going to turn out. And I'm thankful that because of that abundant faith, it required a little bit of faith to trust Him. But all along that journey, that faith allows us to do what? Stick to the mission. Because the only reason that we serve and live and draw a breath and our heart beats within our chest is because we have a mission. Our mission is no different than Jesus Christ was. There's a lot of ways that we can accomplish that mission. Some are givers, some are servers, but everything that we do points towards eternity. And to make whatever impact on eternity we possibly can. What does it require? First of all, abundant faith. Secondly, the absence of fear. Reading that story again, Sons and Soldiers, and reading through that book, some of the things were absolutely amazing. There was a young man... His, uh, his name was, I think, uh, Werner Angres was his name. And when he left, he was only 11 years old. Can you imagine an 11-year-old boy knowing he's never going to see his family again? When his mother put him on the train, she, they were not allowed to take any money because the Germans were confiscating everything. If you had anything at all of wealth or value, they were taking it. So his mother uh, un, unstitched his coat, his overcoat, and sewed a $10 bill, U.S. currency, in the lining of his coat. And she told him, she said, I'm putting you on this train, and she arranged somebody to meet him when he crossed the border into Holland, and when he got on a ship, and he took a ship bound to the States, and he arrived in New York City, 11-year-old boy. Now think about that. With a $10 bill stitched in the lining of his coat. When he arrived in New York City, he recalls seeing the Statue of Liberty. By the way, people like that know what America means. And he remembers even as an 11-year-old boy, he never felt such great bursts of freedom in his heart and life as he did when he saw the Statue of Liberty as an 11-year-old boy. But can you imagine all the fear? I don't know anybody. And he, he arrives in New York Harbor, and there was a Jewish aid society, and those children like that that were coming over, they were, they were given a tag over their neck, a, a necklace with a badge, and he was sent to a family in, in Chicago, Illinois. 11 years old. Unbelievable. But he said one of the things that got him through was his mother told him, she said two things. Number one, don't talk to anybody. Don't talk to anyone until you get to America. Because they were so fearful that his language, his speech would betray him and he'd be taken back and sent off to a concentration camp. None of his family survived. But when he got to America with that $10 bill, and he'd only graduated elementary school, never been to school, but he went off, became a Camp Ritchie boy, served, went back to Germany, became a very successful man. He enrolled in uh, Columbia Hofstra University with nothing more than a junior high education. They accepted him just because of his service in the war. They were doing that for many soldiers post-World War II. Graduated from Hofstra University, went on to Columbia University and got a PhD, became a teacher, a professor, and taught for 50 years in the United States of America. And he said the one thing that his mother told him 
throughout those days was, number one, never talk to anybody during your crossing, but she told him this, whatever happens, have no fear. Have no fear. She assured him that everything was going to be okay. She had told him that we would come along later, and he always had that belief in his heart that they would, but they didn't. But that attitude that she instilled in that young boy, as, think about that, folks, 11 years old. Think about that. No fear. No fear. And so we understand that from the Word of God, Paul writing again, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And let's just be real honest. Most of us aren't facing journeys and problems like that today. Sometimes our biggest fear is, will this guy take this track? Come on now. Sometimes our biggest fear is, well, I've never invited anybody to church. Sometimes our biggest fear is, well, I, I can't. I, I, I don't know. I've never done that. And those fears, oftentimes, those phobias that we have are the things that prevent us from doing that which matters the most. And so we see what must be present for us to stick to the mission, abundant faith, absence of fear. Absence of fear is brought about by this right here, safe and assurance of who is in charge and who is in control. Listen, I've said this many times, but it's so true in our lives. I don't know how everything's going to turn out, but I know who's in charge and I know who is in control. Thirdly, abundant faith, absence of fear. Thirdly, an attached focus. An attached focus. The Bible reads, Matthew 6, 33, we quoted the verse earlier, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. An attached focus means this. It's singular in attention and attraction. Two thoughts there. Number one, God's got my attention. He's got my attention. By the way, God can get your attention. I mean, he, he can. I've, I've heard preachers say it this way. I've read it a number of times. God knows exactly what buttons to push. Now, I, I'm, I'm not saying that that's necessarily always a bad thing. For Jonah, it was. Jonah was swallowed by a whale, a fish, a great fish, according to the Scriptures. God got Jonah's attention. There's no question about it. But God knows how to get our attention, but, but that attached focus to cause, to, that, that causes us to be able to stick to the mission is having a singular inattention. In other words, the song that was played this morning is so, so wise in that respect in that it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. It's kind of like when they take a horse and they put blinders on them. Because those blinders prevent them from seeing all the distractions. And you know what this world has? It's filled with distractions. It filled, it's filled with things that uh, curtail us and, and, t- and lead us away and, and, and cause us to err in our race and in our life that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think I've told the story in here. I know I've told it at youth meetings. Probably our teenagers have at least heard it. But I can remember when I was running track and cross country in high school. And I remember... Uh, um, we had a guy who was, I, I was running the two-mile race, and in track, the two-mile event was one of the last events. But it would take 10 minutes or so to run and complete that race. And so while it was ongoing, eight laps, a lot of the field events were ongoing. And there was a guy on our team named David, and David was a state champion pole vaulter. And uh, one particular meet, it was near the end of the year, and Dave was going for a state record, and also it would have been one of the, one of the highest 
uh, uh, accomplishments in the pole vault in the, the entire United States. And so uh, uh, they call the, you know, everybody for the two mile, and they call, and they, they give one more notice over the loudspeaker, and then you arrive at the starting line. And for the two mile, the distance races, you're all just kind of huddled up there together. There's no, even though there's lane designations, you're not given a particular lane. It's just you get over there, and then there's a mad dash to see you out and get in the front, get out in the front so you stay away from the other foot traffic. That's just the way it runs. And if you've run those, you know what I'm talking about. So we're running our race, the starter pistol goes off, and boom, we take off, and we're, we're staggered out a little bit there. And all of a sudden, I, I, I'm, I'm focused, and I'm looking who's in front of me, and I'm thinking who's behind me, and I know what schools are running and, and what racers there are. We typically ran a lot of the same opponents. But then I hear something over the, over the PA, and they talk about David, David Dale was his name, and he was getting ready to go for a new state record in the pole vault. I was around in the corner, and I thought, man, I'm going to get a look at this. I want to see this because he was a friend of mine. He was a teammate, and I don't want to miss this. It's awesome. And so we're on a straight stretch on the backside. The stands are over there, and that's the starting line. We're a couple laps into it. I don't know, maybe half a mile, three-quarters of a mile. And uh, we're all kind of uh, fairly close together, maybe a couple steps between each runner and someone on the side. And, and I, I'm looking up there, and I can see there's the, uh, the pole vault pit and the high jump pit and all those different things. And the, I hear the PA, and it's coming over, going for a new. And you see, I looked over, and you could see the crowd standing. I'm keeping a, a, a paying attention to the runners before me, and I'm listening. I'm thinking about my time. They they they. Uh, call out your splits at each quarter mile, and sometimes we had coaches and runners who would come over and tell us where we were in terms of time, but I'm watching David. I mean, this is awesome. He's getting ready to set the record, and then something happens. David's running down there, man. He's holding that pole vault. I tried it one time. I thought, this is never for me. I don't know how they get that thing to bend, but they do. That thing bends, and they vault over, and so I'm watching. Here he is, and I'm probably not even holding it right. If you've ever done it, don't correct me, all right? I have no idea. Something like this, maybe like this, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't know, but anyway, they're running down there. They stick that thing down in there, and they push it, and boy, they just launch themselves over it. And I remember about the time David thrust that thing into that little box there in the ground, and he starts to come up, and that's all I saw. Because the next thing I know, I'm off the track, into the midfield, and I'm stumbling down on the ground. And everybody else passed me, and I rolled around. I wasn't hurt. My pride was. I wanted to fake an injury because maybe I could have an excuse. I do remember thinking that. I thought, you big dummy get up and finish this race. And so I did. And guess where I finished? Hey, easy, easy. Come on. Tomorrow's my birthday. Be nice. Make up a story. No, I came back with a valiant finish and didn't win. Um, I really tried to pick up the pace and I did. I finished last in that race. And my coach asked me, he said, what's happened? And I think I was in third when I stumbled, and there were about, I don't know, 16 runners or something like that. I'm not sure I would have won anyway, but I'd have probably placed. But my problem was I lost my focus. It's very easy to do. Was it a bad thing to watch him? No. But see, that wasn't my event. That was his. A lot of times in life, you get wrapped up looking at somebody else's event. I don't see what they're doing. It really doesn't matter what they're doing. What matters is what you're doing and what we're called to do. So an attached focus is singular in attention and singular in attraction. And that's exactly what God has called each and every one of us to do. I, sometimes people say, do you know what the will of God is for my life? I don't know what the will of God is for anybody. 
I know what the will of God is in regards to salvation. God is not willing that any should perish. I know that it's God's will that we reach the loss, that we give the gospel. The Bible says, uh, go ye unto all the world and preach the gospel. That's a command for each and every one of us. And so when we have that singular attention and singular attraction, it becomes an attached focus. So to stick to the mission, I need abundant faith, absence of fear, an attached focus, and then a realization of the fourth thing, which is the best. I've got an amazing future. Now, by the way, sometimes people have the mistaken idea that once you get saved, everything in life smooths out. That's not true. You you know, it would be foolish. I always reminded of stories like this. John the Baptist. Now, God said about John the Baptist in the Bible that there was not one born greater among women than John the Baptist, right? You're familiar with that story. John the Baptist is the one who stood and off in the distance. I mean, he kept saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he'd say it and he'd say it. In other words, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And one day he sees him. And he heralds, he announces his coming by saying, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's John the Baptist. And in that moment, you think, wow. And God says, nobody greater born among women than John the Baptist. Uh, That's a pretty good statement, right? I mean, if you're John the Baptist, that's it. But John the Baptist got so discouraged when he went to jail, and he's sitting there in prison, and his his death is approaching. He's not even aware of it, but he knows this probably is not going to end well. Even in prison, John the Baptist said, send word to him, him being Jesus Christ, and ask this question, is he he who should come, or do we look for another? He began to doubt. He began to wonder, is Jesus Christ really the Moshiach, the Messiah, or should we start looking for somebody else? And here's John the Baptist. He heralds the coming of Christ. He, uh, even going back further, he leaps in, the, in his mother's womb when he hears about, about the coming of Jesus Christ. But here at the very end, he's beheaded for his faith. He's beheaded for his preaching. He, he tells the leader, hey, what you're doing is not right. And boy, he sends word and he's beheaded in prison. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And so just because you trust Christ and just because you're serving Christ, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect in your life, but it means that the one who is perfect is going to be with you every step of the way. It's how Paul could say, I know whom I have believed. It's how he could get to the end of his life and say, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. It's how Stephen, who's being stoned, can you, can you imagine Stephen's boldness? I mean, he's sitting there preaching, and, 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 and they, they got crazy. You, you talk about sometimes in our culture, we see people really act cra- crazy in reaction to the truth. They just don't want to hear it. They begin to plug their ears out, and, and, they, and they gnashed on him with their teeth, and they grabbed him, they took him out of the city, and they put him down into a pit. When they stoned people, they would put him down typically in a lower place, and they would heap up big stones, and sometimes they'd have to lift them with two hands, and they would cast them down upon him. When that's happening, Stephen is saying, behold. And I'm thinking, how does that happen? There's no explanation for it. I mean, it defies human reasoning and logic that this guy, being beaten, broken, and battered by stones, is saying, behold, I see the heavens open. Wait just a second. Shouldn't you be screaming? Shouldn't you be crying? Shouldn't you be moaning? Shouldn't you be wailing? Shouldn't you be asking God for mercy? No. 
Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. And then he went to sleep. It's one of the most amazing miracles to me in all the New Testament. It, it truly is. No complaint of his suffering, but the recognition and the realization of this one thing. I'm going through the worst moment in my life, but I'm not alone. Because when you go through this life and stick to the mission, you have abundant faith, an absence of fear, an attached focus, and the realization that your future is amazing. It's amazing. Tabby and Paige got saved one Friday night, one Saturday morning, right? I don't know how your life's going to turn out, but I can tell you this, your future's amazing. I don't know where you're going to go, what you're going to study in college, who you're going to marry, all that stuff way, way down the road. I don't know any of that, but I know this, your future is amazing because you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And each and every person here that has made that decision to follow Jesus Christ must understand my future is amazing. What I need to do along the way, stick to the mission. Stick to the mission. One of those young men from the Ritchie boys was named Manny Stinfield. Manny was sent off by his dad, and uh, he, was in a, he was actually in a sleeper car with his dad headed to the airport, and they were getting ready to take a plane out of Berlin to Amsterdam. When they got there, and they got their papers approved, and they were just going there for a vacation, is what they said on their visa. It was, I think, 1939, and so they were really clamping down on people leaving. Um, but a fog came in, so the plane was grounded, and they weren't able to take off from Berlin to Amsterdam. And his father feared switching the itinerary would look suspicious, and so they got in a taxi and headed to the train station, and he put his father, he put his son in the train car, and he said, I'll meet you at Amsterdam. And he made other arrangements. But the problem is, he never saw him again. He sent off his, his daughter and his wife, and they did meet him, and they did link up in America. But the dad, he didn't make it out. He was caught, and he was eventually executed. But when you hear those kinds of stories and the young man said that even though he came, to, I think he went to St. Louis, he was shipped to St. Louis, his mom and his sister came over later. But as soon as he had the opportunity to sign up for the military, he wasn't drafted, he joined. And he said this one thing kept him focused the entire time. I want to do something right by my father. He learned that his father didn't make it. His mom and sister did. But he spent his entire adult years, I wanted to do something right by my father. And he did. He wound up uh, being part of the liberating force in France and in Germany, and he made it all the way to Berlin. And he, in fact, liberated some of the concentration camps. It was amazing how those men called the Ritchie boys, who had every reason to never want to go back to Germany, but all of them decided with singleness of mind I got to go back. Some because I wanted to stick to the mission. Some because I wanted to do something right by my father. But each and every one of us 
have the challenge from the Lord Jesus Christ to make sure that in this life, no matter what happens, no matter all the distractions and all the things that bother us, stick to the mission. Jesus said, I came for one reason. And that same reason that he came is the reason he's given us for living. Stick to the mission. I ask you a very simple question. Are we doing what we ought to be doing for the cause of Christ? Don't make it a corporate question. Make it personal. I try to challenge myself. I don't want to ever challenge somebody else and not challenge me. Am I doing all that I could? Am I doing everything that I should? Will heaven be different because of me and the influence I've had on others? Can I make a difference for eternity? Oh, yeah. Each and every one of you can. We just have to stick to the mission. Shall we stand? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, very quickly in way of invitation. Is there someone here tonight who would say, with every head bowed and every eye closed, God spoke to me about something tonight very, very clearly, and by God's help and God's grace, I want to I make a decision, a move, a correction, an adjustment in my life. Would you lift your hand and say, God spoke to me about something? Very, very quickly, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Many, many hands, put them down. You can just lift them up and put them down. Anybody else say, God spoke to me about something. I want to make sure I stick to the mission. Regardless of how many years I have left, I, I want my life to matter. I want to stick to the mission. God bless you, God bless you.